0: You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team
2: every day.
3: And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is April 24th, 2020. My name is Philip Ross. I'm the expert insight editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. Of course, follow me on Twitter at R underscore O N D. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we're going to talk about the good things that happened this season. It feels like... There's a lot of negativity around the, the 2020 season, and, and, and some negativity and some criticism is certainly warranted for the way the Magic have played, but I want to take a step back and, and enjoy the good moments and the good things that we've experienced so far in the 2020 season, hopefully that we will see again coming soon. But before we do any of that, I do want to remind you all that you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast I work by searching for download podcast for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like there's a podcast covering your line of magic with a detail, there's a podcast covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care detail that you can only find from a local expert who knows their team best. What the lowdown on, say the Toronto Raptors or Boston Celtics teams that we talked about this week as we did a quasi-playoff preview. You can check out Locked On Raptors or Locked On Celtics. Plus, there's Locked On Bucks, you you know, since the Magic are actually technically supposed to play them, or Locked On Nets if you want to hear what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets. The point is, no matter which team that is in the NBA, there's a Locked On podcast covering that team with local expert, who, covering that team with, this, with such intensity and detail that you could only find from someone who knows that team really, really well. Plus, the NFL draft started on Thursday. You can follow all the NFL teams as well on the Locked On podcast network, whether it's Locked On Dolphins, Locked On Bengals, Locked On Bucks. No matter what it is, you can find an NFL podcast for you too. So whether it's the NBA, NFL, MLB, College, or NHL too, you can find a Locked On podcast for you. Just search for every download podcast for Locked On and the team you're looking for. The Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. So this week, I, I wanted to spend the time looking at the playoffs because because this week was supposed to be playoff week. Um, you know, we should be prepping for a game three on Friday or Saturday or possibly even Thursday. We should be prepping for Game 4 on Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday. We should be in the thick of what is the best time of the year. The thick of the whole point of the season. Yes, there, you know, there's a lot that would have gone into it, but for a team like the Magic that has been to the playoffs once and kind of uses that as a metric stick, even finishing 7th, the playoffs were ultimately where we were going to learn a lot about this team and a lot about where this team needs to go next. Nikola Vucevic certainly had, had to have some mind on redemption. There had to be a, a, a lot of players on that Magic team who wanted to prove that last year was just they're dipping their toe in the water and that this year they could compete maybe a little bit more. Now, as, as I kind of said in, in those two podcasts with uh, locked on Celtics and locked on Raptors, a win in the series would have been a tall order. Winning more, multiple games in a series would have been a tall order. The, the Celtics, the Raptors are very, very good teams, and the Magic certainly have some fatal flaws that, you know, maybe we don't need the playoffs to fully address. On that sense, then it it, it feels like, you know, maybe it's because the, the 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 negative people are the loudest people online. It feels like a lot of the people I talk talk to, and talk with online, come out of this season, fairly negative. Um, there's, you know, a camp that believes the playoffs are not worth it and that Magic should go into the lottery. There's a camp that certainly believes the Magic need to move on from, you know, the Nikola is and Evan Fournier's of the world and, and start shifting to uh, a younger group. You know, there's 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 a lot of different camps, it feels like. And yes, all those have validity. I'm not here to dispute that feeling. In fact, I would argue that, yes, the Magic have been a disappointment in 2020. That we expected Orlando to take a step forward. To maybe compete for the sixth seed. To maybe be in a series where they would have a legitimate chance of winning. And the fact of the matter is, Orlando is very likely, if we were to get to an 82-game season, very likely to finish with fewer wins than they did last year. Even if by one or two. I mean, NBA 2K had them finishing 40 and 42. And and that seems fairly possible. I I would peg them at 38, 39. Magic were going to finish with fewer wins than they did last year, stay virtually in the same spot that they were in last year, in, in a frankly worse Eastern Conference, and and really not show tangible signs of growth. In that sense, yes, the season has been a disappointment. I'm not going to hide from that. The season did not kind of meet expectations. I mean, even even for me. I think I was more tempered in what I believe this team would do. I, I, th- I felt like a seven seed or compete. I thought they would compete for the six seed and kind of fade at the end, finish 7th still, and probably finish with about the same one, same number of wins, maybe 41 to 43, 44, 45 wins. They're not going to hit that mark, and they're going to finish in 7th once again. So if there is skepticism, if there are questions heading into this offseason, you are absolutely correct. I'm, I'm not here to tell you that you are wrong. I would call this season disappointing. I would call this season frustrating, certainly because of the injuries. I would call this season a lot of those things. But I would not call it as a failure. I wouldn't call it a success either, but I wouldn't call it a failure. For me, this season, and yes, I know the Magic signed Nikola Vujicic and Terrence Ross both two four-year contracts, but to me, this season was about confirming that last year wasn't a fluke. That this team can maintain at least some level of consistency to be a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, yes, the 30 and 35, yes, you know, the season's on hiatus, we don't know when it's going to be back, but I feel fairly confident that that part of the year, that part of the task list, so to speak, for the season, we can check off. The Magic fulfilled the bare minimum of what they needed to do this season. They're likely to make the playoffs, which was, you know, the, as I've said throughout the course of the season, the season is a failure if they miss the playoffs, just bar none. There, 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 there can be no success. There can be no positive talk if the Magic miss the playoffs this year. And, and I will, honestly, you know, depending on how the league decides to come back, if there's some play in tournament, I'll excuse it if they miss the playoffs because of a play in tournament because that, that can be more randomness. I think that would be very bad. I am I, very much on record believing that. Whatever the NBA decides to do, they need to honor the first 65 games of the season, a straight single elimination play-in tournament that does not advantage the Magic who had a four-and-a-half game lead for the final playoff spot with 17 games to go. If the Magic don't have some extreme advantage, then then the NBA is doing the Magic very, very wrong. A straight tournament might work in the West where there are five teams within three games. With the Magic having such a large gap between themselves and the Washington Wizards, no offense to the Wizards. I, I think that, that, that they are certainly capable of making a run. I think the Magic deserve every advantage that that, that is reasonable to, to make the playoffs if, if that's the route the NBA decides to go. I, I don't think it will. I think the NBA is going to try and have like a, a quick five game or six, seven, eight game run up and then we'll go straight into the playoffs from there. So, for sure, I agree The the. So the Magic accomplish at least that baseline goal. And again, I sit here today and I I say very, very clearly and I feel very, very clearly that the Magic's playoff experience, the Magic's kind of institutional knowledge that that has now been ingrained and poise that has now been ingrained that made them a playoff team is why the injuries didn't hurt the team as badly as they could have. I, I think... If these injuries would have hit the Magic last year, they would have finished with 25 wins. They would have missed the playoffs by a ton. They would have been out. But I do think last year's playoff berth gave them the belief and the confidence to hold the ship steady and play play their way in. And yes, the Magic were about to hit the easiest part of their schedule. So I think there were a lot of wins coming up in March. I think the Magic were going to we're going to be one of the hotter teams in the league coming up in March. Because, they, they again, they were playing really, really well after the All-Star break anyway, and the schedule got super, super light, especially with a lot of home games. So I, I think the Magic really missed out on some big opportunities, and, and, and I think it would have really changed at least some of the narrative about them. But undoubtedly, I would agree with this too, that it does feel like this team has reached a bit of its ceiling. Uh, the, the fact that, that the team kind of stayed even and didn't take another step up is certainly concerning. Uh, it's something that we all expected them to do, uh, and so again, I will say that yes, the season isn't what we wanted it to be. It's it's not an A season like last year was. It's not. It may not even be a B season. It may just be like a C plus season or B minus season. The Magic accomplished kind of the bear of what they needed to do, and again, the playoffs sort of would have colored a lot of the colored a lot of those uh uh lines in as well. But certainly. We expected more, and we wanted to see more from them. And the challenge for Jeff Weltman, the challenge for each individual player—from Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, to Markel Fultz, to Nikola Vucevic, to Evan Fournier, to you know whoever comes back—the challenge for them is to get better themselves too, to figure out how do I make myself and my team better. You know, Aaron Gordon's a great example. We expected Aaron Gordon to take a little bit more of a leap and a little bit more of a leadership role. And injury slowed him down early on in the season, but he struggled. He didn't make the pro- the progress with a shot that we expected. He didn't make the progress offensively that we expected. His defense was fine for the most part this year, but he didn't make the progress we expected. It didn't really come until the All Star break this year when it looked like he was finally fully healthy and we could see his talent starting to build up again. And, and, and he was, he's, you know, again, those 10 games before the All Star break, he was averaging seven assists per game. He was doing things that we had not seen him do before. So. 24 years old, you know, I'm sure the Magic will shop him again. He is the most tradable player on the team. Uh, I'm sure they are going to look overturn every stone they can to improve their team, and that might include trading Gordon. But at 24 years old, I don't believe the Magic have any rush to trade him at this juncture. It's very clear that Jeff Weltman, John Hammond, and, and their approach to this team is they want to be in the playoffs. They believe that t- young teams grow best when they are in the playoffs and competing in, and, and in a winning environment. And so the Magic, I don't think, will sacrifice their playoff spot for a quick fix or for for something unless it is clearly going to make the team better, unless they they feel that it will make the team better, whether it's freeing up time for Jonathan Isaac, which certainly is an argument to be made, or a a better player coming in. So again, I don't feel the urgency to make the earth-shattering move, although I do think changes
2: are on the horizon. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So, with so much
3: negative talk, because there is a lot of negative talk, and, and, and I feel like it is important to Go back and look at what's been good this season, because yes, as, as I as I said for the last ten minutes, the Magic didn't hit the record mark that we all wanted to see. Individual players didn't hit the marks, the growth marks that we wanted to see. And, I, and again, I, I I know I say this ad nauseum, progress is rarely linear. And 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 something that I that I said, and, and it's an idea that I that, that popped into my head while I was talking to John Corrales on yesterday's episode of Locked On Magic. It's, you know, it's it's this idea of, you know, making mistakes and experiencing some failure is good for growth. Um, especially, you know, especially with where the magic are at, um, it isn't easy to get back to the playoffs. So defending your, you know, it's sort of that that's that line. Winning a championship is the easy part. It's defending a championship that's tough. And yes, we're not talking about championships, but making the playoffs was the easy thing. It, it just took you know a a, a month of fantastic play. And some momentum to get in. It's staying in the playoffs. It's it's staying ready for an 82-game season at that level that's difficult. And that's something the Magic had to learn this year. And again, they they had their struggles this year. And injuries played a big role, especially with Jonathan Isaac. Injuries played a huge role in all of that. But the Magic stayed with it. And yes, moving target, they made the playoffs. Or, or they're, they're set to make the playoffs. Did they improve their record? No. And, and that is concerning. I'm, I'm not going to deny that that's concerning. I, I would argue that last year was probably the worst playoff team in Magic franchise history. This year's team would, although I do think this year's team is better than last year's team, but, the, but they they lack an intangible quality that last year's team had. Last year's team had the urgency and, and really the desire and fire to make the playoffs for the first time in seven years. This year's team, it's kind of expected of them. And dealing with and learning how to play with expectation is something you have to learn in this league. So, to me, this season has been an educational experience for a still very young team. You know, you look at the key players on this team, magically, you have one player who's, or two players who are 30 years or older. One of them is DJ Augustine, the other is James Ennis. So, this is, to me, this is still a very, very young team. Now, granted, a lot of those players are in their late 20s. Terrence Ross, Nikola Vucevic, Evan Fournier especially. That's supposed to be their prime. Aaron Gordon's supposed to be coming into his prime. It's a team that's supposed to be near its peak. And the fact that this team is near its peak as a 7 seed is, is certainly concerning. I am not disputing that. There is a lot of work the Magic have to do in the offseason. There's a lot of work the Magic still have to do to keep growing and building this team. We are not at the end of the project. But like I said yesterday you only you're only like i've said throughout the season and 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 kind of made the point yesterday you're only stuck if there's no way forward and i believe you're only stuck if you keep making the same mistakes so this year was a learning experience this year magic experienced some hardships some some adversity some failure you know certainly i want to see in the playoffs whether the magic make the same mistakes that they made you know honestly playing the raptors again would i think be a really interesting thing for this group, because there is that familiarity, there is that understanding of what it's like to play a playoff game in Toronto, to win a playoff game in Toronto. There is, I think, I think there would be a little bit of that urgency, and I, I could, I could almost guarantee, uh, whenever the mat—I mean, there obviously won't be fans the next time this Magic team plays a home playoff game with fans. Any player who was left from that 2019 playoff trip is going to come out on fire. I I know for a fact that pretty much every player was frustrated and upset that they lost those two games at the Amway Center last year. And again, you know, obviously circumstances, uh, prevailing circumstances, will prevent fans from being at the playoffs this year. I, I could guarantee that they all are hungry to to give this fan base a playoff win, a home playoff win. Um, I, I can I can guarantee that they want that as much as anything in the world. But let's go through the positives of the season. You know, if if if, if all I'm going to do is describe the season as adequate, you know, like again, making the playoffs is sufficient is necessary but not sufficient for success. If all we're going to do is describe this season as adequate, what were the moments that we will hold on to? Obviously, the biggest moment of the season, we did a whole podcast re-watching it, um, was the, the win over the Los Angeles Lakers at, at Staples Center. Watching Aaron Gordon and Markel Fultz take over that game, watching the Magic play with urgency and intensity from the opening tip to win that game, to take the lead in that game, to control that game throughout, that was the win of the season. That was the best win of the season. It was Marco Fultz's. it felt like Marco Fultz's really big coming out party where he really established himself, uh, not only as, as the starting point guard, but as a point guard the magic can build with, um, you know, he really stepped up on a big stage and played, played uh, that, that, that triple double was probably his best game of the season. I I know he's had some really good games at that great game against Brooklyn, um, a a few weeks later, um. but that Lakers game was, was so huge. And again, staying, you know some of it is staying up late and, and, and kind of the intensity of playing LeBron and playing at Staples Center. But that was that was a really nice win. I, I, no matter how you want to slice it, that was a really, really nice win. And, and that's a win that I think magic fans are going to cherish for for a very long time. I think that is a win we will talk about uh, for a long time, especially if Marco Fultz develops into the kind of player that we think he can develop into. Um, We've seen a lot of moments from Markel Fultz throughout the year. Uh, You know, I think if there's one, if there's, if there is a positive that comes out of the season, it's seeing Markel Fultz reestablish himself in this league. It's seeing him become not first overall pick Markel Fultz because I don't know if he'll ever get back to that level, but become solid starter Markel Fultz and possibly a lot more. I mean, I think the thing we're most excited about is seeing him get some skill work in and and be able to spend an entirely healthy summer. You know, again, it won't be a full healthy summer because who knows when the league is going to start back up whenever the offseason begins. But we will get to see, I think we will get to see Markel Fultz really ex- expand his skills. It's essentially the end of his rookie year. And, and for a rookie, Markel Fultz played exceptionally well. I, I really do believe that. I really, I, I, I've been really, I, I, honestly, I think some of the frustrations that fans have about Markel Fultz's role is simply because he outpaced expectations. And and Steve Clifford isn't going to completely change the way he plays midseason unless he has to, and he he kind of did have to when 7 Fournier went down with that elbow injury. Um, But slowly but surely, we're seeing Clifford trust Fultz more. And again, a full offseason, a full summer to plan. You know, Steve Clifford said uh, on a radio interview with Mike Bianchi and and Mark Daniels on on, on 96.9 The Game uh, last week, he said that that him and his coaching staff are already studying the team as if it's the offseason. And they found a couple things that they want to tweak about the team when they get back to work. Now, having a mini training camp is going to give the Magic the opportunity to change some things, to really work on some things as they get themselves back in shape. And that could be an opportunity for the Magic to really push Fultz a little bit more to the forward and really build an offense that that takes more advantage of his skills. Because I, I think certainly the offense the Magic have run throughout the season did not. But Fultz still found ways to make moments throughout the year, whether it was the dunk on opening night against the Cleveland Cavaliers that, that was the enduring image of that of that game whether it was the steal and and one slam against Washington Wizards his hometown team whether it was that fourth quarter against the Brooklyn Nets in Orlando a huge game and Fultz put the team on his back and and carried them to that win um that was that was an impressive performance um, one that's kind of slid under the radar a little bit, because again, that second Brooklyn game was also really intense and and a really big win, and a re- re- felt like a really big win and s- is a really big win. Uh, but Markel Fultz had some really strong moments throughout the year. Obviously, we can't talk about big moments of the year without talking about Aaron Gordon. Um, the dunk contest is is going to be it's going to be a dunk contest we talk about for years to come, just like the twenty sixteen dunk contest was. Um, Gordon is going to go down as the best dunker never to win the dunk contest, at least in the NBA dunk contest era, all, all respect to, to, Dr. J. Um, Gordon put on a show and, and kind of became the people's champion again. Um, there, there are shirts to that say that he is the people's champ. Um, it, it was, it was an incredible athletic performance. I, I know I was skeptical about Gordon performing because he was coming off all those injuries. I wanted him to be cautious, but he, he went forward. He showed that he, Hey, that he was healthy. B he showed exactly what he could do, and and of course, we all believe that he deserved the trophy. Um, if if anything, they should have split the trophy. Uh, you know, I, I I'm not huge into the Dwayne Wade conspiracy theory stuff because if if you're gonna have the judges kind of fix the the scoring so that they end up even, why would you depend on Dwayne Wade to give to give a a, a ten to Aaron Gordon? I think that should have been planned out better, but. I'm not a conspiracy theorist on that front. I, I think Gordon won the dunk contest. That's I, I, honestly, honestly, I think the dunk contest is more about, is less about the trophy, although these guys care about that, and more about the dunk you're talking about after the dunk contest ends. You know, the sticker dunk is what we talk about from that dunk contest in Las Vegas. The Superman dunk is what we talk about from New Orleans. The 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 sit down dunk over stuff is what we talk about in 2016. The you know. So dunking over Taco Fall, the win, the one-handed, the one-handed 360 off the side of the backboard. That's those are the dunks we talk about from that dunk, from those dunk contests, and that's why Aaron Gordon to me is the winner. But Gordon, you know, despite the struggles that he had this year, despite not taking maybe the leap to play in the Sunday game that we all thought he would play, he would he might he might play in. Gordon had some really memorable moments. He was starting to, again to build momentum, especially after the All Star break. Um, that game against Brooklyn that I mentioned, where Gordon I think scored scored or assisted on the Magic's final seven points. I think he had 17 in the fourth quarter, had hit, hit a humongous three. And again, Orlando, it feels like again, Orlando's a half game behind Brooklyn, so they're not in the driver's seat, but it feels like Orlando is in the driver's seat for seventh whenever the season resumes, because they have that they they hold at least a tie in the tiebreaker with the Brooklyn Nets because of that game. Because Orlando came back from 17 down thanks to Terrence Ross, thanks to Aaron Gordon, and won that game. That was a gutsy playoff win by the Orlando Magic. And, and again, that was a, an all-time win. And, and it would be a win that we would be talking about a lot if the season were kind of coming to a close the way that we expected it to. It's, it's kind of faded into memory a little bit. And, and frankly, um, you know, it, was, it was one of the best games of the year. Aaron Gordon's triple-double a few weeks later against the Minnesota Timberwolves seemed to come out of nowhere too. All of a sudden, Aaron Gordon was one of the best passers on the team, averaging seven assists per game since the All Star break. Um, you know, I've, I've I've gone back and looked at some of his passes, and yes, he has made some great passes. He is a really gifted passer uh, when guys are cutting to the basket. Um, but a lot of it is, you know, he's just making the right play. He's playing patient and under control. The Magic did are doing a lot better job getting him closer to the basket. Uh, they're using Vucevic more in the high post, which again is not something I like a ton of, but. Getting Gordon into paint and and camping him in the lane is certainly a more effective way for him to play and and it's proving dividends. But to me, honestly, the most memorable stuff from this season uh, is going to be kind of the stuff that that we missed in the second half of the season. And and that's because of what Jonathan Isaac was becoming. Uh, I, I know I've said this on this podcast several times. Jonathan Isaac is the one guy on this Magic team that does anything at an elite level. Um, And obviously in this league, you need guys playing at an elite level. You need guys who do things at the very top of their grouping. And the fact that Jonathan Isaac was leading the league in stocks, steals and blocks combined, was second in blocks, I think he was top 10 in steals. It's been a while since the NBA has seen a defensive player capable of doing those things. It has been a while since the NBA has seen someone who can impact the game defensively the way Isaac was. And, and frankly, Isaac was better than he was last year. His individual defense has gotten significantly better. Just ask Kristaps Porzingis when he nearly, and when Isaac nearly had a 5x5 five five game. And I know like Charles Barkley had that rant about, well, why is 5x5 five five so special? Well, when so, only, when so few players have done that, had five at least five of something in five statistical categories. So in Isaac's case, it was five points, five rebounds, five steals, five blocks, five assists. The fact that so few players have done that, and it's very exclusive list, and the players who have done that are of the highest caliber of player, that is worth noting. It's it's a silly club, I agree. It's a random kind of assortment of numbers. But again, the club is so exclusive that it is worth noting. And Isaac was one steal short of joining that club. Or what was it? Yeah, one steal short of joining that club. And he had was putting together some some really impressive games. He was starting to play a lot more confidently. Offensively, defensively, he was just a savant. And he's going to get a lot better. And the disappointing thing is that a random accident injury, not, nothing related to any other injury that he's had in the past, just a random injury cut his season short at about game 33. Um, that, that part is disappointing me. Honestly, when Isaac went down on January 1st, it really felt like the season was over. Not that the Magic wouldn't make the playoffs. I was still confident the Magic would make the playoffs. It felt like the season was over in that the biggest area of growth the Magic could make was with Jonathan Isaac. Just having him on the floor, having him playing, having him continue to grow and expand his game. Seeing that cut off so soon in the season to the point that he was not likely to return. And, and, you know, I want to be optimistic that he will be back when the season resumes. I have the feeling the Magic will continue to take things very cautiously. But having that kind of taken away, honestly, it took away a lot of the juice from this season. Um, you know, again, we would talk about the season being a disappointment. That is one way this season has been a disappointment. Isaac provided so many great memories throughout the course of the season. From his game, and again, some of them in losses. The the five, the near five by five game against Dallas. The big game he had against Toronto and Indiana, where he really took on a larger role offensively. Um, you know, he had big games against Philadelphia. He, he, he was really coming into his own, having a career season, still growing steadily and, and slowly, but having a career season and making such a huge impact defensively. He would have been on the all-defensive team um, if he had played enough games. Um, and, and seeing him go down is certainly one of the bigger stories of the season. And, and you know, as I said in the podcast with, with Sean Woodley of Lockdown Raptors and John Corrales of Lockdown Celtics, I really do believe Jonathan Isaac's presence would make up a game in the playoffs. If the Magic have Jonathan Isaac against the Raptors, I think they get a game because they have someone who can match up with Pascal Siakam. If the if Jonathan Isaac plays against the Celtics, I think the Magic can take that to six because he can guard Jason Tatum and help out on Jalen Brown and help out on so many guys and help protect the lane a little bit. Isaac, Isaac, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard to put this much pressure on the kid because he's still growing and he's nowhere near his ceiling. But Isaac was already making that kind of an impact. And again, to see the growth from those three players, you know, Aaron Gordon, you know, at the end, toward the end of the season for sure, starting to make the progress that we all wanted to see. Markel Fultz playing through the season healthy and, and looking like he can make a real impact. And Jonathan Isaac playing at that elite level defense. That was enough hope to make this season a success, even if the Magic finished seventh. Even if the Magic still finished with the same record. And the fact that, again, the fact that we won't get to see that play all the way out. The fact that, you know, Isaac won't get to play especially. That's the part that really makes this season disappointing. Because all three of those guys, and and I would throw Mo Bamba in there too, who played exceptionally well. And Evan Fournier, who was having a career season. And Terrence Ross, who's starting to, to catch fire. The Magic were really starting to find their edge and find their find their their rhythm again. And and they can be a very dangerous team when they're rolling. And and, and for the first time all season, right before this league went on hiatus, it looked like the Magic were finding it and, and getting ready to make the memories that that we expected them to make throughout the course of this season. So that's what I got. Those are those are my most memorable moments. I'd love to hear from you what your most memorable moments of the season are. You can tweet them at me at omagicdaily or at philiprr_underscore_oa. To close out this week, I wanted to share uh, one of the great new shows here on the Locked On Podcast Network uh, that is Rejecting the Screen. Um, they've had some amazing interviews with NBA people, uncovering never told stories or, and unknown tales throughout the NBA. They've had an, actually an incredible guest listen. Both Noah and Adam do a great job providing entertaining commentary on the NBA. You can subscribe to Rejecting the Screen on iTunes or Apple Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify. Here is a collection of the best of Rejecting the Screen with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko.
4: Hey, it's Noah Kozlov from Rejecting the Screen on the Locked On Podcast Network. Adam Stanko and I get together twice a week to talk hoops with folks who have touched the NBA on all sorts of levels, from all-stars, coaches, executives, and media members. Recently, the number three pick in the 2006 NBA draft, Adam Morrison, joined us. To tell a story about how Kobe Bryant, his former Lakers teammate with whom he won two rings, went above and beyond to lift his spirits.
5: It was a year after I was out, and so I wasn't playing, obviously, and I was really depressed, and I was basically a hermit in my own house, and I didn't go out in the community at all. And then, you know, if you did, it was one of people asking you, Why aren't you playing? And I was, you know, I'm 26 at the time, or whatever I was, and, you know, number three pick, and just really low point in my life. And I get a text from Robert Laura the, the Lakers security and it was Kobe's like one of his best friends and he said, "Hey, what's your address? Uh I got something in the mail for you." And I get the package and it's um an autographed jersey from Didier Drogba, um who is my favorite player. I'm a Chelsea fan. You know, it was from Kobe and game worn jersey, you know, signed Didier Drogba to Adam best wishes and I always thought Kobe you know, made a phone call, which is, would be fine. It's still cool as shit. It's unbelievable. The night he passed, I'm scrolling through, reading everything, and I'm emotional, and on Chelsea's, you know, Instagram page, it's him with Didier Dragwa holding up a jersey, and it says, to Adam Best Wishes. So he went up to my favorite player, wow. got it signed for me without me even asking, and sent it to me when he knew I was was low. That's, that's what Kobe Bryant was, man. He was just one of those dudes who understood his own aura.
4: When four-time All-Star Sean Marion hung out with us, not only did he tell us that he tried to recruit Kobe Bryant to the Suns the summer that the Suns ended up signing Steve Nash and Quentin Richardson, he also told us that his 2006 Suns team should have won the title. In the 2011 preseason, his Mavericks teammate Jason Terry was so confident they'd win it all, he got a tattoo of the trophy.
6: We was at the Sean stevenson house we had a game in orlando and um we went to his house and you know a few through a few the team and uh we was over there having barb eating and stuff and then this tattoo guy came over there and jet guy tattooed a tra- trophy on his on his bicep i was like damn dude I was like for real i was like okay okay i'm loving it i'm loving the the, the confidence and the swag we have right now so like this let light- alone don't nobody else know don't nobody else in the world know we do we doing this and we're doing this right now because everybody Everybody in the league has aspirations. A lot of teams have aspirations to win championships, but it ain't but maybe a handful that actually actually can't do it. You know what I'm saying? So we was one of those teams, and like we were sitting there going through this process and looking at this, and uh, yeah, we was like, yeah.
4: Did he tell you, hey, I'm going to get a tattoo of the trophy? Did you know as it was happening? Or once he got it, he showed you, eh, he's got a tattoo of the trophy.
6: Well, it, it was called it was called all kind of one sequence. He's like, we won the championship this year. I'm about to get a trophy right now. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we were like okay. That's what's up. <laughs> I mean <laughs> you don't get no better than that. Come on now. You don't get no better yeah, than it that. does it. You don't it. Get no better than
4: that. Kevin Willis never did win a ring, but he was an all-star and was one of the most dominant rebounders of his era. He spent year sixteen of his career with the Toronto Raptors when Tracy McGrady was in year two and Vince Carter was a rookie, as expected. He had some pretty good advice for those kids. They used
6: to call me OG, O-Head, things like that. And I was, I think I was in my 15th year or somewhere up in there. And it was like, yeah, man. I used to tell him and T-Mac. I say, T-Mac, first of all, you need to you need to stop falling asleep on the bench and practice. You just—you got to you stay awake. You, you, you keep falling asleep. I used to tell him at you guys rather hope that you get the 15 years because you, you little snot-nosed rookies. But, <laughs> you know, they, they, were, they were great, great rookies, great talent.
4: Speaking of vets and rookies, when Suns legend Eddie Johnson got traded to Seattle, Gary Payton was a rookie point guard. And since everyone loves a good one about GP running his mouth, Eddie delivered.
7: And I remember one day at practice, I was there for about two weeks. And I remember he kept disrupting practice. And here's a smart guy. He had he had a right to talk in that regard because as I got to know him. He really knows the game, obviously. He's all-of-famer. He's one of the greatest defenders ever. Now, but at the time, he was a rookie. And rookies were not supposed to talk under my watch. Right. So that's what it was for me. And I just couldn't get over the fact that this rookie kept talking. You know, and I let it go for two weeks. And I asked Nate McMillan, I said, "Is it a point in time, man, when you all like gonna say something to him?" And Nate was like, "Man, you know, you know, Nate kind of shook it off." And I said, "Well, I'm gonna say something." And lo and behold, one practice, he's got the yapping, and you know, coaches going over stuff, and he yapping, and he yapping, and I just finally said, "Would well, you shut the f up?"
4: About 15 years later in Seattle, P.J. Carlesimo was coaching the Sonics with rookie Kevin Durant. When P.J. came on the show, he revealed how ahead of the curve his staff was when K.D. was on the floor.
6: One good thing we really did with him was we exposed him to a lot of things in terms of we played him at two, we played him at three, we played him at four, we put him in pick and rolls, we encouraged him to shoot threes. It's his only bad three-point percentage. If you look at his percentage year by year, Uh, in the NBA, it's far and away the lowest one. But again, uh, in those days, it was even a bigger jump from college three to NBA three. And Kevin didn't shoot a lot of threes uh, at Texas. And we we had him do that. And at times we were criticized. Like, why are they playing this guy at guard? Like, why are they putting him in pick and rolls? You know, why are they letting him dribble the ball up the court? Because he could.
4: Staying with coaches, Brendan Haywood won a title with the Mavs in 2011. And when he joined LeBron and the Cavs under David Blatt, it was obvious when a head coaching change was needed. We could
6: see, late in ball games, if he had to draw-up plays. we could see he was super nervous, his hands would be shaking. He'd have to give the clipboard to Larry Drew. Larry Drew would draw the plays up. And when you see that, you understand, like, this dude ain't ready. He's not ready for this. He's not ready for this, and it's not his fault, because he he thought he was taking on a rebuilding project. And then next thing you know, LeBron James calls up David Blatt and says, I'm coming. And now instead of taking on a rebuilding project with Kyrie and Deion Waiters at the forefront of it and Tristan Thompson, you have LeBron James and Kevin Love there. And now you're competing for a title. Uh, I just don't I, I think just Coach Black got hit with too much too soon. But it was easy to tell right away that Coach Black was probably in over his
4: head. Just like a head coach can lose a team, a woman can tear one apart as well. Butch Beard was an assistant with the Mavericks in the mid 90s as Grammy award-winning R&B singer Tony Braxton came in between stars Jason Kidd and Jimmy Jackson.
6: I mean, it was it, it ended up being Jason and Jimmy, all right? Jason and Tony. Tony's not caring about either one of them. And then the team was taking sides. So I'll never forget, we had we,
7: we, we had a damn team meeting. And I said, guys, it's a woman that's breaking us apart. And if, if the woman is that good, please, I want to see what her mother looks like. Because I want to <laughs> date her mother. Come
4: on. Entertainment and the NBA will always be intertwined. The first to do that on the media side was the New York Post's Peter Vesey who was also the sideline reporter for the national broadcasts on NBC. We asked Peter about his post-game interview with Carl Malone after the Jazz lost in the finals to the Bulls in 1997. The YouTube clip is titled, Peter Vesey Tries to Get Punched.
0: Carl was always a great interview. He would never not answer a question. You know, we really didn't get along. I, I disliked him on many levels. Respected him on many other levels as a player, but you know he was a dirty player. And the first time that they showed it to me, I didn't even remember it. Okay, so I did this interview. I had no agenda. I was just going to ask him some tough questions, and um, I didn't care how tough because I really didn't like him. So, <laughs> but I knew he was going to answer them. <laughs> so, so I, I wasn't. I didn't feel unsafe, and I didn't feel like I was doing something wrong. And it really never, it never dawned on me that that came off the way it did. You know, my son would say to me, I "Said, wow, like what were, you, what were you thinking?" I said, "I was just doing my job." But I, I, uh, I had no mindset going in other than I knew he was going to answer my question. In
4: 1997, former head coach Hubie Brown was broadcasting for TNT, but five years later was hired by Jerry West mid-season to coach the Memphis Grizzlies. Point guard Earl Watson was in his second year with the team and was thoroughly confused when it all went down.
0: Jerry West introduced Hubie. I'm 22 years old, we're in Memphis, losing franchise. First time in my life I've ever been a part of anything that was losing. So it's all new to me, just everything was like new to me. I never, I, it made me, it almost made me sick. He introduces Hubie Brown and I'm thinking, I gotta call Bob because we just hired the TNT guy, this is crazy. I didn't know his full resume, right? So the first thing he says to us, he takes the podium and he says, first, I would like to say, you all are fucking losers. None of you are winners. If you was a winner, the other guy wouldn't be packing his stuff with his family. See? You got on fire. You're fucking losers. I'm going to teach you how to be a winner. I'm going to teach you how to be a winner.
4: The Bob that Earl referred to was Bob Myers, his agent at the time and now the president of the Golden State Warriors. Stories like these are a taste of what rejecting the screen sounds like every week. So we hope you'll join us by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or download and listen wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hopefully that is a great sampling of the kind of conversations that you can find on Rejecting the Screen, a fun podcast uh, discussing all things about the NBA, obviously. You can find that, again, wherever you download podcasts today, plus our other great podcasts on Locked On Podcast Network, our team podcasts, of course, as well as Chad's. Chad Ford's Big Board, a draft podcast, uh, Locked On NBA, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball. That's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked On Magic. I hope you all had a great week. We should have been talking about the playoffs, so I hope you enjoyed at least some hypothetical playoff talk this week and go back into our archives and listen to our episodes with Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors, as well as John Corrales of Locked On Celtics, as we did kind of mini playoff previews of of a potential Magic series with, with the Boston Celtics and Toronto Raptors. You can find me, of course, on Twitter at Philip R underscore MD. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Magic and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, tune in TuneIn, Himalaya, Google Play, Spotify, and all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast enabled listening device. That's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked On Magic. For Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic, this has been Philip Ross from I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked On magic. You
7: are Locked On Magic your daily Orlando magic podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.